It is time to get personal. Hey, it's good to see y'all. My name's Eric. I'm the executive pastor here at the Summit. How's everybody doing? Great. Good to be with you online. If you're watching online somewhere and at both of our locations in Oak Ridge and Jamestown, it's great to Great to see you. So we are in our second week of our personal series. Uh, Pastor Jonathan got this kicked off for us last week. And what he talked about last week was he said, hey, listen, there's something very much connected between your purpose and the people in your life. You guys remember that? There's something very closely connected with your purpose in the people that you have in your life. So we are going to be going in a new direction today. And uh, what I want to talk to you about is your significant story that God has done in your life because you are a follower of Jesus. And not just that, I've got an interview that I I want to do uh, in just a little while that I think is going to drive the point home, and we're going to have fun with that. But just a uh, a quick side note of something personal. Personal with me, Christian and I just celebrated 22 years of marriage this past weekend. Thank you. I learned to don't ever get married in March. Just don't do it because you have no idea what to expect for the years following your anniversary trips. Is it going to snow? Is it going to sleet? Is it going to be hot? Is it going to be warm? You just you're never going to know. So like. Pick another month, but I love my wife. And so anyway, I just had to say that. Hey, uh, hey we are um, glad to be with you. I want to introduce to you uh, some, some little critters that live at my house. Uh, you may be able to relate to me, but uh, this is Max and this is Brownie and they are beagles. And would everybody just humor me and go, oh, thank you. That's right. Thank you. We love Max and Brownie. They love to bark. And they love to eat and they love to poop and that's about all they do. And, um, but, but they live in our backyard. They live on an electric fence because we have to keep them in our yard because if not electric fence, you know, there's beagles, right? They're hunting dogs. They'll just cart off in the woods and see you. Like, where'd you go? Well, one day I hate to say that, uh, I forgot to turn up the electric fence when I let them out. It was back, I think it was New Year's day actually. Uh, or the day after, and I forgot to turn up the electric fence, and they were gone out of our yard, gone. Kreisha asked me to go get something out of the shed. I walked back to the, I walked out to the shed, and I went, nothing like tried to like jump up my leg as I'm out in the yard. Something's not right. The dogs were gone, and so they were gone from from Sunday till Wednesday night. That's right, man. All the air just got sucked out of the room over here. <gasps> <laughs> but uh, so, so what I decided to do was Sunday night, we were a little distraught. We were just, oh man, where are Max and Brownie? We care about, they've never spent a night away from our house. We got them when they were babies. They're, they're brothers, if you can't tell. And uh, so they never spent a night away. So we were like, we were sad. We were like, oh my gosh, you know, they're out in the woods by themselves. We don't know where they are. I posted on Facebook. I posted their picture. It was shared over 433 times. And I had friends, uh, um, you know, Facebook and me, hey, have you found your dogs yet? You found them yet? I'm like, no, no, unfortunately I haven't found them yet. They're like sending me pictures. Are these them? (laughs) Are these your dogs? I'm like, no, thank you for caring, but no, those aren't aren't them. Finally, um, somebody called us Wednesday night. They had been gotten lost Thursday morning. Somebody called us Wednesday night and somebody found them. And 
uh, Max could no longer bark anymore. He had barked himself to death. He, uh, he's my anxious dog, uh, he, and he had barked himself to death. Brownie, he looked like he had lost several pounds because he's my eating dog. He loves to eat. And, um, but what was so cool was that they stayed together for three days out in the woods. I mean, that's got nothing to do with what I'm going to be saying today, but I just thought that was awesome. I just, I just thought that was awesome that they stayed together as brothers, you know, band of brothers right here. So anyway, love those guys. But here's what I learned from that. Everybody loves a rescue story. And everybody was on Facebook like, I hope you found your dogs. I hope you found your dogs. And when I found our dogs, everybody was like, 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 and we just were so excited you found them. And that's what it, keep, that's what it reminded me of is that everybody loves a rescue story. And here's what I know about you. You have a rescue story because God loves you in, a, in an amazing way. And you have a rescue story as well. Or you have at least a story that God is weaving right now in your life, regardless of where you are on the, on the pendulum of if this is where the point you receive Christ, you may be way over here and be like, I'm not quite there yet. Or you may have received Christ years ago and you're, you've grown in your faith and you're kind of at this pendulum. Regardless, all of us have a story. We may be at different places in our story, but all of us have a story. And if you have crossed the line of faith, if you have make, made a decision to follow Jesus, you definitely have a rescue story. And your story is meant to be shared. It may be very personal, much like the series that we're in, but it is not private. If you've ever bought anything on Amazon or found a restaurant through Yelp, or in, and you've left a review at any of those places, guess what? The good news is you already know how to tell your story. You just got to figure out a way, how do I tell the most amazing story in my life? And that is the story of how God has changed my life and invaded my heart. And now I'm completely different because of what Jesus has done. So I want to talk today about why your voice needs to be heard. Here, here's the first reason why you should want to tell your story and your voice needs to be heard. Number one, people are going to spend forever somewhere. We truly believe, we believe that Jesus said people are going to live in either heaven or hell for the rest of their life after they die. And what they do with the decision of Jesus Christ determines that. So we truly believe that people will spend forever somewhere Okay, so because of that, this creates a little bit of a sense of urgency. It doesn't create guilt, but it's out of joy. God has changed my life, and I want to tell you how he's done it. But we believe people will spend forever somewhere. Second of all, faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Christ. We believe, the Bible says, that our faith comes by hearing what God has done in other people's lives or through his word. So our faith grows and is developed by what we hear from God's word or other people and their stories. Number three, some people are going to listen to you. You're like, no, they ain't. I'm like, yes, they will. Some people are going to listen to you. And, and, and a lot of us think, well, Eric, these, the people that are around me, they know me better. Like they know who I really am. They're not going to listen to me if I've got anything significant to say about spiritual matters, especially about Jesus. And I would say that you're wrong. You've got influence with people in your life, right? You don't have to be perfect, but you do need to be credible, 
<laughs> Credibility is important. You don't have to be perfect. And we're all afraid sometimes. We all feel like our story can be insignificant or whatever. But God is going to put some people in your life and in my life that are going to listen to what we have to say. And last of all, it's about a conversation, not a conversion. Now, when I was in, uh, in seminary school getting my master's, I was trained to go door to door and talk to people about Jesus and ask them to convert on the spot. And I actually did it. It was very awkward, <laughs> but I did it. Because at that point in my life, 20, oh gosh, I don't even know, when I was 24 years old, 25 years old, uh, that's, what I, that's what I was taught. That's what I thought you were supposed to do. Well, I think there are better methods now, but I was trained to do that. So I was trained to think that if I'm going to have a conversation with you about Jesus, I needed to see you convert on the spot to see it be successful. Well, I don't think that that's, you know, I know that there may be other, but I just personally, I don't think that's best for me and what I would want to do. Our challenge to you is it's about a conversation. Our challenge to you is learning how to tell your story in a conversation where it takes the pressure off because you can't control this. You can't control when somebody converts uh, and makes a decision to follow Jesus. You can't do that. But what you can do is you can learn how to have a conversation with somebody about your faith. You can do that. I can do that. I've done that. And we can do that together. Now, I think there's one thing. I think there's one thing that creates a connection with others. Now, I want you to think about your spouse. I want you to think about your child. I want you to think about your parent. I want, the, I want you to think about your friend. I want you to think about your coworkers. I want you to think about your supervisor. And I want you to think about, there's one thing that creates a connection with all the people in your life. It's a relationship principle that God is teaching us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul used this principle whenever he went around the Mediterranean Rim and he wanted to start churches all around the Mediterranean Rim. He used this one principle. And he learned that if, if, if he could just create a connection with people that were very different from him, they were very different from him. If he could just create a connection with them through what I'm going to be talking about in just a little bit. If you'll listen, you'll pay attention, you're going to get it. If he could learn how to do this, Man, it just paved the way for the story of, of the gospel of what Jesus has done all the way through his conversation, opened up doors for conversation for that. So there's one thing that creates a connection with others, and let's get to it. First Corinthians chapter 9. Paul says, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Now, here's the wide range of people that he felt, um, that, that he felt challenged in the responsibility to reach. He said, I'm, I'm, I want to reach religious people. I want to reach non-religious people. I want to reach meticulous moralists. I want to reach loose living immoralists. I want to reach the defeated, the demoralized, whoever it may be. I want to reach them all. And then he goes on to say, here's the, here's the secret of all of his relationships. He says, I didn't take on their way of life. As I, as I lived among them, as I tried to encourage them and built a relationship with them, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their, what? World. I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of, what's this word? View. Man, when people enter our world and see things from our point of view, 
man, it really, the walls really start to come down. When somebody says, gosh, I can see why you would see it that way. Because if I experienced what you had experienced, I could totally understand why you would see the situation that way. See, what made Paul so good at what he did was he entered people's worlds and tried to experience things from their point of view because he knew if he wanted his message to catch fire, he had to do this with them. Let's, let's go to the next, the end of the verse. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. He said, I've done it all. I've connected with all different kinds of people so that every person I meet has the potential to, to cross the line of faith because of my influence and in, in the story that is in my life of what God has done. Now here's um, the big point that I'll, and here's Paul's secret. The one thing that creates a connection with others, your spouse, your children, your coworkers, doesn't matter who it is. The one thing that creates a connection with other people is common ground. It's common ground. When you can experience common ground with somebody, you feel like you know them. You feel like you've connected with them. When you have common experiences, you feel like, wow, we kind of know each other now. As a matter of fact, several, of the, several areas of common ground that, that I think are worthy of us really finding common ground for are number one, interests. When, when you're meeting somebody and you're talking with them and you're trying to figure out how to build a relationship with them, find out what are your common interests. I have about four or five friends, specific friends in my life right now that are very dear friends to me, but they're all based around various interests that I have. I have a friend that's uh, kind of a leadership guy who, who I talk to him about you know, leadership stuff. I have a friend who's a fitness guy who I talk to him about like workouts and fitness stuff. I have a friend who um, I, I talk to for like family advice and marriage, you know, those kinds of things. So a lot of the friends that I have personally are built around various interests that I have. But when we're trying to find common ground with people, we start with, oh, you like cats too? <laughs> Tell that to Pastor Jonathan next time you see him. You like cats too? Oh, you like Duke too? You know, things like that. What are areas that you're interested in that connect you with other people? Second thing is areas of common ground or experiences. When you're building relationships with people, what are experiences that you've had in common? Like if you're married, one of the things that you'll always remember is that first time you met your, uh, your spouse. And, and that first moment where you kind of locked eyes. And like, you know, when people ask you the question, so where'd y'all meet? Man, you're not going to believe where we met. We met at this place and oh my gosh, he was this and she was this. And, and we just came together and we knew when we saw each other, it was like, bam. And we were so, you know, we had those common experiences together, right? If you have children, these are common experiences, you know, because all of our children do dumb stuff, Right. All of our children do dumb stuff and all of our children hopefully do great stuff. And we all have those common experiences. Yeah, my kids did some dumb stuff too. And let me tell you about them. Yeah, my kids did some great stuff too. I mean, we all have those common experiences. Uh, we may have common, you know, you know, common bands, common music, common schools that you went to, whatever. But use these to find areas of common ground with people that you know when you want to share your story with them. The third area I would say is common pain. 
Now, when we were back in our last series, our Enough series that Pastor Jonathan led us through, uh, I think one of the first weekends uh, that the first weekend of the series, one of the questions was, where in your life have you felt like you've had enough? Now, I lead a, a small group that's a video conferencing group, so all my guys are like on screens on my, on my uh, MacBook. But, but in, 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 a, in 15 minutes, these guys didn't know each other at all. In about 15 to 20 minutes, after everyone has shared a moment in their life where they, were, they felt like they had had enough, I mean, the walls came down and everybody kind of went, gosh, yeah, whoa. I mean, somebody had been fired from a job. Somebody was going through a, a situation where their, their, their spouse, their wife was going through some significant health challenges. Uh, a, other was a, a disability challenge. I mean, just a lot of stuff. And all of a sudden walls came down of guys who didn't even know each other, but common pain all of a sudden brought people together that didn't even know each other. So how do you find common ground with people? You've got to ask questions. Now, there's one thing I know about you and me. <clears throat> well, there's one thing I know that I had to learn a long time ago, and this was very hard for me to learn, is that nobody cares about me. Nobody's that interested in what I've done. They're just not. And it doesn't make people bad around me. It just means they're just not really that interested. We're all interested in ourselves. We're all interested in what we like, what bands we like, what restaurants we like to go to, what clothes we like to wear, places we like to shop, cars that we want to drive, places that we want to live, places that we want to vacation. Play, you know, we like what we like, and we really don't ask a whole lot of questions of people. I have found that I can sit across the table from somebody, and I can ask pretty much anything I want to ask, and people tell me pretty much anything I want to know if I'm just willing to ask the question to build a relationship with this person. Now, I'm not saying we build fake relationships just so we can share the gospel. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying we got to love people and care about people and get to know people because that's just what God wants us to do. And in the midst of us building friendships and developing relationships further, we get the opportunity to tell our story by asking questions. Now, I want to introduce to you a friend of mine. You guys welcome Chris Applegate to the stage. Chris, come on out, bub. As you can see, Chris and I are the same height. Uh, roughly. <laughs> That's right. Uh, man, I, I, I care so much about this guy right here. Uh, he is our impact director here in Kernersville. And uh, I, I just can't speak enough about the value that he's added to both of my boys and my family. And so if your kids are not, your teenagers are not connected with our impact program here, um, man, they should even, uh, I mean, it would just be a great blessing for them. So man, it's good to see you. Good to it's see good you to see you. Now, now, I've been talking with them a little bit about building common ground. Yes. And, uh, and how when you build that connection, you make that connection, build common ground, it really opens the door for us to share our faith, right? Absolutely. And you've got a great story that I want you to get to in a little bit. Sure. But before we get into all that, tell, tell folks just a little bit about you and, and who you are. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm from High Point, uh, right next door, and I graduated from High Point Central back in 2007. Uh, do we have, any, we have any bison here in Kernersville? Anything we got a couple. There we go. Some high okay. point people there. There we go. I love it. There it is. <laughs> so, um, and I grew up in, in high school. We came here. We came to the summit, and my parents always did a great job of leading me closer to God um, and leading me to a relationship with God, but it was never really personal 
uh, until I graduated Central and I, and I went off to school. All right. So one of the things that people may not know about you is you, you had a dream school. I did. I still have a dream school. There you yeah, go. Still, I'm, I'm a big Carolina fan, big Tar Heel fan. Big Tar Heel yes. fan. Yes. I'm still yeah. struggling from Friday night a little bit. You know, it's uh, <laughs> wasn't the best situation. We'll be better in the NCAA. Don't worry. There you go. Bounce back. But yeah, growing up, that was my dream to play yeah. basketball at Carolina. Yeah. I really, man, it's the one thing I wanted really yeah. more than more than anything. And yeah. I would go to Carolina camp in the summers. Uh, I would practice in my driveway and act like I was Jordan or Jameson or Carter guys yeah. counting down the clock. You know, that's yeah. what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I get to high school, and junior year came and nothing really happened. And senior year came and I don't know if. I didn't hear anything. I don't know if Roy must have lost my, my number yeah. or my address. He never came knocking at the door. So yeah. I'm still waiting for Roy to kind of reach out still to waiting. me and help me understand that a little bit. There but you go. No, I, I applied to Carolina. Um, I was accepted to go to school there, but I wouldn't be able to play basketball there. Yeah. My options would be potentially walk on, maybe be like a JV player, but yeah. I, I wouldn't really play, and I still wanted to play basketball. Yeah. It was all or nothing. It was all or nothing. That's it. Yeah. So then you get this opportunity to go 14 hours away to yes. Phillips Exeter Academy. Now, now, what's the significance with that right there? So all the way up in New Hampshire, 14 hours away, freezing cold. There was a little bit of snow this morning. We would have that snow up there till May. All right, so, so why was, why was 14 right. hours significant? So 14 hours was a big deal because growing up, I was a homebody. I could not spend the night out anywhere. Nowhere. Nowhere. I'm talking, I would get homesick if I was staying at my grandma's house. If I was staying down the street, if I so, was staying, any, I, I never, I always wanted to be home. So you wouldn't stay with your grandma? Oh, no, I'd call my parents in the middle of the night and say, you got to come get me. <laughs> no, I would. True story. Man, true That's story. Yeah. <laughs> and finally in high school, high school comes around and I was trying to be a little bit tougher. Like, hey, I can, oh, I can do it. I can stay with my boys. I'm good. I'm yeah, good. So yeah, I yeah. couldn't, you couldn't really be homesick yeah. as a junior or senior. You yeah. know, that, would, that wouldn't fly. That wouldn't yeah, look that cool around the guys. That's so. right. So, so you go play basketball at uh, Phillips Exeter yes. Academy. Um, after graduating high school. And how did your relationship with God grow during that time? Right, that was the, absolutely the biggest thing for me. Uh, my relationship with God came the most important thing and the most personal thing to me yeah. because I didn't have my family anymore around me. I didn't have my friends around me anymore. It was really having a relationship with God or, or nothing. Yeah. It was my time to really buckle down and I got to know him. When it sounds like your parents set you up for success, they Absolutely. model for you what a relationship with Jesus looked like, but then you kind of reach that point where, hey, I can't live off my parents' faith anymore. Exactly. It's, I got to develop my own roots. I had to be on my own. Awesome. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. So, so you played basketball at Phillips Exeter, and then you went on to a school called Trinity College in Connecticut. And I think you played basketball there too, is right? I did. Okay. So you finished up at Trinity and then you moved down to Charlotte, North Carolina and taught high school at Vance High School. I sure did. Tell me about what happened there. I sure did. So when I finished up at Trinity, um, I applied for a program known as Teach for America. Uh, and if you're familiar with Teach for America, if, if you're not, but it's a, it's a program for two or three years uh, and young college graduates, people who recently just got done with school, uh, are taught, uh, they're taken and they're trained in the summers and then they're distributed throughout the whole country in low-income school districts where you can't keep and maintain teachers. What were, what were some of the cities that you could have ended up in? Oh, man, so what you would do on the application, you would put down your top ten list for cities. I mean, usually for a job, you put down your top five, or top three, maybe even top five. For Teach for America, they said, we'll get your top ten. And wherever the greatest need is, you'd be placed there. So, I mean, we're talking New Orleans, Detroit, uh, Baltimore. It was a lot of areas all around the country, really, really rough school districts. Yeah. 
And I was praying to God through it. And my biggest thing was, I really, really want to come home. I really want to come back and, and be able to teach in Charlotte. And I prayed about it and prayed about it. And man, God opened up the door and, yeah. and, uh, and I made it back. All right. So, so you go from graduating college now to now you're a world history teacher and basketball coach yes. advanced high school Absolutely. in Charlotte at a title one school. Mm-hmm. So, so explain to people a little bit about what that means and how you built common ground with students and athletes there at Vance. Sure. So what I would do at Vance, um, which again, Title I school, which meant that there was government funding given to the school because the students needed it. Uh, there's a lot more need for supplies and different, different resources, uh, a lot of busing into the schools right. because students either couldn't provide their own transportation or their parents just couldn't take them or didn't right. or weren't able to take them, whatever the reason may right. be. But so what I would do in world history before I would teach any content, the first thing I would do was get to know my kids. Yeah. And this was the craziest thing because for about the first two weeks of school, I would be doing icebreakers and I would be doing ridiculous games and I would be splitting my kids up into four different corners and dividing them into teams and it would turn into chaos in my classroom. It would just be wild. <laughs> but kids were loving it and they got to know each other and build that relationship. And I knew if I didn't connect with them and let them connect with me, then yeah. they wouldn't listen to anything I had to say yeah. about world history. Yeah. What well, was so cool is that I got to see you make a connection with them. I remember uh, before we hired Chris to be our impact director here, I went down to sit in his, in his classroom to see how he connected with the students. Yeah, it was, it was great. Everybody thought he was actually my brother the whole That's time. That's right. He's wearing a nice little tie and everything. He looked good. Yeah, so. Brother of another mother, right? <laughs> That's it. There it is. There you go. Yeah. All right, so. <laughs> but the, be- the best thing building relationships was really yeah. with some of my players, the basketball yeah. players. And coaches, yeah. you guys understand, you have to really be able to uh, have the respect of your kids for them to listen to you. Yeah. And with my basketball guys, yeah. it, it's, it's one thing coaching and talking to them. But right. after practice, I had to literally take off, my, take off the suit, lace up the shoes, right. and have to go and play them one-on-one. And play. I couldn't lose to them. Right. Because if you lose to them, then they definitely won't listen to you. Right? Yeah, so you, you got to earn their respect. Was, you oh, man, beat I was them, sweating. Right? I was sweating. Yeah, I, I did good for the most <laughs> part out there. Right. Well, I knew you had gr- made a great connection when I would just stand out in the hall, and I would watch all the students come by your classroom. Yeah. And they would they were high-fiving Mr. Applegate, you know, all of them coming down the hall. And uh, I was like, man, that's really cool. Yeah. All right, so now you're teaching there. Um, and you're still, but you're living in High Point, and you're driving back and forth between High Point and Vance High School every day, and you start attending the summit again. Yes. So tell me about what happens then. So I always remember February 8th, 2015, I was, I was at church that day with my dad, and we were actually standing in Kernersville right out here in the lobby after the service. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll never forget it. This girl walks up to me. A girl. A girl. Guys, I know y'all understand. You've... If you ever gone to church before to meet a girl, right? You can say you haven't, but I know, I know we have sometime. Let's be honest, right? Okay. And man, on this day, I, I was just coming to church. But after that, I was coming to church to meet this girl. There you but, go. But there she comes go. up to me, okay? She came up to me and she at says. Least, at least you came one week for the right I, motives, right? right? There you go, That's right? Awesome. Exactly. There you go. So I, this girl comes up to me and I'm standing out there with my dad. And I remember, like, I hope she doesn't come talk to me. I was like, I, I don't know what. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to say. If she comes up and talks to me, yeah. she comes right up to me smiling, and she says, excuse me, did, did you go to UNCG? And I thought in my mind, UNCG, uh, no, I didn't. I wish I would have. I don't think I can start this relationship yeah. on a lie here at church. That's right. <laughs> so, so I'm so, like, <sighs> so her opening line was, did you go to UNCG? Yes, that's there what she go. said. All right. And, you know, we started talking, and I found out her name was Whitney. Um, and then we 
played it off. I played it off cool. So I was like, all right, all right, Whitney, you know, I'll see you next week before the service and we'll talk. Peace out. So the following week, <laughs> and the whole week I'm thinking about it like, man, I should have got a number. I really should have tried to talk to her. I, I hope I see this girl next right. week. And the next week was February 15th. Yep. And I'm pulling in, uh, it's about a little after 1130 to the last service. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's late. I missed my chance. I'm not going to find her. You, well, I'm going to have to like. Oh, 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 I got to stop. You're <laughs> late to the last service. I know. That's bad. Late to the last service. That is bad. Oh, That's bad. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. Sorry. I know. It was a struggle, man. And I was in here speeding, looking for her. But when I got out of the car, I didn't want to run because I wanted to look cool. Oh, you got to look right? cool. Because if she sees me like running, then That's it's like, oh, nah, yeah. Because you could guy. fall and it'd be weird. And I'd be terrible. Yeah. I was sweating too, I'm sure. But right. the coolest thing was when I got here, everybody was out in the parking lot on the patio. Everybody was outside. What happened on the 15th in Philadelphia? So I was actually speaking that weekend here. Uh, one of our pastor's children pulled the fire alarm in the church. So he pulled it in Kid Summit. Please don't ever do that again. But uh, he pulled it in Kid Summit. So the church, uh, like right before the 1130 service, everybody's standing outside. Thank goodness it was like beautiful that day. Oh, it was. It was, it was, it was a beautiful day. It was yeah, a great it was day. Good. Yeah. It was good. But fire alarm got pulled. Right. It was crazy. So thank you so much to Ryland. Ryland was the one who pulled the fire alarm. <laughs> That's right. Would have been from Ryland. I don't know if I would have had the opportunity to connect with, with Whitney and talk a little bit more with her. That's awesome. So me and Whitney started dating. Uh, everything was great, and we started getting plugged in more to the church, and we started serving. And um, two years later, here we are with Impact, and we are married and still in love more than ever, and we have that's a awesome. baby on the way, expecting on May the 4th. Yes, that's awesome. And I, I think we've got a picture of you guys somewhere up here. Boom, there you go. And there's, there's Hootie right there. There's right? Hootie. There, there's there's Hootie. our Labradoodle. He's with us, hanging that's, out. That's awesome. He's usually not that behaved, but he's <laughs> been good. So, um, <clears throat> so as you know, we're talking about building common ground, yes. building a connection, building right. common ground. There was one specific relationship, though, that that you shared with me of, from your time in advance that God really used in your life for a, a significant reason. Absolutely. Yeah, and what I realized teaching is uh, working with kids, you know, the ones that you had the relationships with, it was, I could openly share my faith with them and talk with them about it, and they could see it from how we'd interact, especially guys on the basketball team and some of my closest students. But with adults, it's hard because adults, we're setting our ways. We don't right. really want to change. Right. Um, and there was a guy by the name of Mr. Anderson, and I'll never forget this. This was the um, last week before school started. And the teacher work days when we're prepping everything. And now, Mr. Anderson was much older than you, right? He was much older, okay. yes. And he was actually the ROTC instructor. So serious he was, dude, right? Oh, serious dude, military-minded guy. Uh, he, had the, he had the whole, the whole crew cut going whole and everything. He, he, was, he, was, he was always sharp. But I remember he was about my height, and he was probably about two of me. So he was a big guy, okay? <laughs> and he comes up to me on this last day before school started back. Right. And he says, hello, Mr. Applegate. It was always Mr. Applegate. We never referred to each other by our first names. Okay. Now, I didn't even know his Keeping first name. Keeping it real. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping it real. But he comes up to me, and he says, Mr. Applegate, it's my understanding that I'm going to be using your classroom in fourth block. And what that meant, fourth block was, he actually didn't have his own classroom. Uh, he was a floater because we didn't have enough classrooms for all of our teachers. So what that meant for me was at the end of the day, after teaching all day and having my kids basically run around and do, just have all the energy in the classroom, right, right. I had to give up my classroom in order for him to, uh, to be able to use it. And did I want to do it? No, absolutely not. Yeah. If he wasn't my height, if he wasn't bigger than I was like, uh, I was like, nah, dude, all right, you can keep moving, right? But no, it, and honestly, I said, okay, 
Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's, we'll, we'll work it out. You can use my classroom. Yeah. So that whole year, I would go to different places in fourth block, and we'd pass each other and, and, and talk briefly. Yeah. Um, and what I found out was eventually, Mr. Anderson and I developed a relationship. All right, so you started asking him questions. Oh, yeah. And he was stonewalling me, man. Really? I would talk to him. Hey, man, yeah, what'd you, uh, what'd you do this weekend? Nothing. He said, I just, nothing. So, nothing. Okay. Yeah. I said, okay, well, hey, what's your favorite kind of food? Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. No. Nothing. What's your favorite show? Hey, this dude does not watch TV. Don't ever ask somebody like that if he watch TV. Doesn't watch TV. He doesn't watch TV. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Hey, what's your favorite color? You know. <laughs> but it, it turned into literally, you know, one Friday I was getting ready to leave for the weekend, and I'll never forget it. I said, oh, I'm just asking this question. Why not? I said, Hey, Mr. Anderson, do you uh, you watch college football? And he told me he watched it, and unfortunately, he said that he was a diehard South Carolina Gamecock fan. South Carolina Gamecocks. <laughs> South Carolina Gamecocks. I'm, I'm from the state of South Carolina, <laughs> and South Carolina Gamecocks doesn't have a football team. I didn't think they did either. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he was a big Gamecock fan, and then guess what happened? Every time Mr. Anderson and I would talk, he'd be like, hey, how about them Gamecocks, man? Yeah. How about them Gamecocks? And I'd be like, oh, You're like, okay, Ugh. all right. Well, you guys won a game. Congratulations, you know. But he right. would talk and talk and right. talk. And right. man, then it opened up other ways to make deeper connections. And then I said, okay, well, hey, you know, he was asking me where I live. And I was like, right. okay, well, I live about an hour and 15 minutes away. Right. He lived about 40 minutes away. So we were able to share why we drove so far we, as, as we did to teach. And I said, you know, it's a great opportunity for me. I feel like God placed me here. I prayed about it. I right. sought wisdom for it. And it was a great place for me to teach and build relationships with these kids. Because one of the most difficult things for our kids um, is teaching in an inner city school, high poverty like that is education, they always say, is the most important. And it is extremely important, but education is not going to save them. And it's not the hope that's going to last the most for them. So I had a chance to really build relationships with these kids yeah. and, and talk to them more about Jesus, which was, which was great. But with Mr. Anderson, man, yeah, it was, we were able to connect a lot more just from a conversation about the Gamecocks and football. So, so you opened up starting from a college football reference. Yes. To, and you started finding ways to talk about your relationship with God. Yep from that experience absolutely yeah mm -hmm. and it was good and we'd have some conversations at the end of the day where i'm sure i was just like oh i need me some jesus today man uh, yeah. one of these kids are going crazy yeah. i'm gonna lose it you know yeah. but yeah. but we would have good conversations and the craziest thing was i talked to him or i talked to him about uh something from scripture that i read this morning in my devotions or a song or i'd say something to him and he would stonewall me he wouldn't give me a response he wouldn't really yeah. say anything else so yeah. i didn't think anything registered with him i thought right. he was just like okay i'm just listen along to him. Right. So tell me about now you're, you are now hired on, or, you, or you've been offered the job at the summit. Yes. You take it. Right. And you are resigning mid-year from your teaching position at Vance. And something really interesting happened to you. Right. So Mr. Anderson approaches me on my last day teaching uh, when he was coming into his fourth block class. And he said, Mr. Applegate. I said, Mr. Anderson, I feel like I needed to salute him or something. You know, <laughs> a very, very formal guy. And he says, it's my understanding that you're leaving Vance. And I said, yes, sir. Got to say, sir, to him. And yeah. he says, okay, well, I wrote you something. I want you to open this when the time is right. And I didn't think much about it. I, I, took, I took the letter and I threw it in my desk, took it home. And then when Whitney and I transitioned here to the summit, I remember one of the first things I put in my desk here was this same letter. When the time is right to open it. Yeah. And a couple weeks ago when you were talking with me about this message and potentially sharing about a time, where I have connected with somebody and found common ground with somebody and we're able to share, the, share Jesus with them. 
I thought about Mr. Anderson for some reason. And I prayed. And I was like, there's no way, God. It can't be Mr. Anderson. There's no way he actually felt that way. I didn't feel like I ever made an influence or an impact on him. Yeah. He was always silent. But this letter still came to my mind that was in my desk, still not open. Still not open. Still not open. And right before we met, the first time to talk about this, my wife, Whitney, I love her to death. And she says, hey, do you, uh, you know what you're going to talk about? I said, no. I said, I still haven't opened that letter. She said, you still haven't opened that letter? Are you crazy? I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to open it. And I opened it up, and it was, yeah. it was incredible. So I'd like, to, I'd like to share it with you guys, if that's okay. Do it. So it's January 19th, 2016. It says, Mr. Applegate, it is with bittersweet thoughts and sentiments that I write you this note on this day, your last day of employment at Zebulon B. Vance High School. Whole title. The whole thing. All of it. It was a shock to hear from you that you're leaving our school, and that is saddening. On the other hand, I completely understand your motivation for not revealing prior your wonderful opportunity for what will certainly be an incredible way to serve our youth in the highest as a youth pastor. It's been my distinct honor and privilege to have worked with you and to have had the unique opportunity to share a classroom and to learn from you. I both respect and admire you as a teacher and know you will find even more success in your new vocation. You'll be greatly missed by everyone here. <clears throat> Godspeed. Proverbs 27, 17 is iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Walt Anderson. So Chris, here's a guy that you had no idea that you had influenced in that way. All you were trying to do was ask some questions, build a relationship, and at times drop stories about your faith. How, do, how does that make you feel right there? It's, uh, it's very, very humbling. It really is. And it, it, it makes me go back and think. I, I was shocked the impact that I had had on him and just sharing my story and talking to him about Jesus from time to time. And mm -hmm. if there's anything that we can all walk away with is that we all have people right now that man, we are influencing, we are impacting, we really are changing them right now. And if you ask them those questions and if you can make those connections and if you can find common ground with them, I mean, you can change their lives by more powerful than anything else by just sharing with them about Jesus. But it's just, it, you got to find that common ground. And then you'll be, you'll be blown away by what happens from it. You really will. If you think back to the original instruction of what Paul said, I try to enter, enter their world and see life from their point of view. And the difference that God can use in a relationship that tries to do that. And as you're trying to tell your story, when you can find common ground, when you can find that make that connection, you have no idea the kind of influence that you'll have. You'll have. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for all of us in the room right now that God, as we are trying to figure out how to share this amazing story. God, that you've done in our life. Lord, I pray that you would help us to find common ground as Chris did with Mr. Anderson to build that relationship by asking questions and f finding the area of life where there's a common interest or common experience and starting there. And it's not just trying to win people over to Jesus. It's about building relationships with people all around us and at the right moments, God, you will use us to share our story. So I pray, Lord, that 
you would help us receive this challenge of finding common ground to share the greatest story in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.